Wow. I'm so happy just to be here. And uh, I see a lot of people that I know in the audience. I've known for a couple of years and just blessed to be your brother in Christ. And today I really get to just dive into specifically two verses we're going to be looking at and uh, seeing what God has for us tonight. And I see a lot of new faces. So I'm really excited to see where this Bible study is going and the future of uh, what God has planned for every single one of you. Because God has such a big plan for all of your lives. So we're going to go ahead and pray. So let's begin. Dear Father, uh, we just come before you this evening and I pray, Lord, that we just be in complete submission to you, Lord, right now. And just to be complete in awe of you. And just thank you so much for just giving us this word. So we can just meditate on these verses that you bless us with, Lord. Especially the ones that you put on my heart to speak about tonight, Lord. And we just pray this in your precious name. Amen. There's uh, two verses I'm going to be speaking about this evening. Which have a lot of significance about walking with God. And having an elongation in your walk. It's so important. I see more now than ever to have that walk. In this life, because we are living in the last days. Since Israel became a nation, we are seeing everything fall apart. Morally, we're seeing the breakdown of the family. We're seeing, look at what's going on with our laws. We're seeing a complete rejection and rebellion to God in our society. So how, now more than ever, that we need to continue to study God's word and look at the verses and see how they can apply into our lives. So we can have a passion and a boldness to share with people that do not know Jesus. In our schools, at our job, we need to be those light, that light that shines in the dark place. So this evening we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. If you could please turn there. Chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Man, I love God's word. Two verses we're going to be specifically looking at. It has, it's so rich and it has so much to give. I'm going to be exegetically taking this apart. We're going to be looking at the specific words in here. I'm going to be defining them for you so we can have a good foundation of what it takes to walk with God. Verse 28 states, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Wow, one verse has so much to give to us tonight. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, it's talking about the kingdom of God, which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God. Wow, the idea of servitude. Being a servant, what does that mean? Webster's Dictionary defines it as this. To render obedience and comply with the commands and demands of. God wants us to be a servant to Him. He wants to be our master. He wants, a subjector. He wants us to subject ourselves to Him every day. In our lives. What is a servant of God? A servant of God is this. See we are here to, uh, to not be served. But to serve. That's the most important thing you need to remember. With, in your walk with God. We are here to not be served. But to serve. To serve God. And to serve, to serve our fellow man. It is so important to remember that. To be able to serve a master, you need to know the master. You need to have a relationship with the master. I see a lot of faces in here that I know personally that love Jesus and that do have a relationship with our king. So the next step would be, what does it take to build that relationship? One of them is knowing that master. You know, I liken it to a marriage. When you get married, you have a mutual love towards each other. What you need to have when you get married is agape love. It's a selfless love. It's willing to lay your life down for the other person. You need to have that. It's so important because if you both don't have that, which is a mutual love together, then your marriage will not work out. That's the same type of love that you need to have when you're serving our master, Jesus. So we need to know who God is. What are his attributes? What is his nature like? A.W. Tozer one time said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
For this reason, the greatest question before the church is always God himself. So who is God? Who is this king that we serve? Can we trust him? Can we rely on him when the times are tough? The God that we serve is holy, just, loving, righteous, merciful, gracious, and a faithful king. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. He is our true comforter and he is our true redeemer. That's the God that we serve. As servants, it puts us in positionally to be able to subject ourselves to the master because our master is faithful and we can put our trust in him because he will never, ever forsake us. I'm just in awe of that when I think about it, who God is. When I meditate on that, when I, when I pray to the Father, it enhances your prayer life to know who God is. We say, Father, I know who you are. I'm in complete subjection to you. It's such a powerful thing to study the idea of God. See, God in and of itself is just a title. There's so many views out there of God in our society today. But we know God through a, by definition. And how do we know God by definition? Through His Word. By studying His Word. By knowing His Word. By knowing who He is from His Word. This is our God. This is who we serve. And what did He do for us? He sent His only begotten Son down to die for us. John 3.16 For God so agape, for God so loved the world. Agape is a Greek term like I explained earlier. You're willing to lay your life down. If you want a good reference for that, John 15.13 speaks to that. It says, Greater love than no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. Wow, what a powerful statement. You know, I want to close this right now. I don't, I see a lot of new faces. For the people in here that do not know Jesus, and do not know who God is, and how much he loves you and cares for you, and what he did. Jesus came down to die for all man's sins. Because of Adam, Romans 5.12, sin entered the world. Jesus came down and died for all man's sins. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, John 3, 16, John 14, 6. Um, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what he's done for you. So if anyone in here that does not know Jesus, please come talk to me afterwards if you want to have a personal relationship with our King and allow him and submit your life and allow him to be your master. Moving on. Acceptably, it then says, what is accept? Accept is to receive willingly and agree to with reverence and godly fear. Reverence is to have honor and heavy respect towards. When you study and know who God is, you can have respect for Him because you know that He will never forsake you, like I said. Fear. Fear gets such a wrong connotation when speaking of God. It says godly fear. What is godly fear? Godly fear is this. It's a profound reverence. See, to have a godly fear for our king, you're agreeing to honor and respect and to be in awe of. That's what godly fear is, which is so essential because if you don't, you won't be able to be completely surrendered and submissive in every area of your life. See, here's the thing. God just doesn't want one part of your life. He wants all of your life. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants you to live in the spirit, not walk in the flesh. He wants every aspect of your life. And here it comes down to this. The Lord will take you as far as you want to go in your walk. As far as you want to go. So the question you have to ask yourself, am I truly willing to be that servant that God's called me to be and allow Him to be my master and walk with Him? That's what fearing God is. You know, through the years, I've been a Christian now for four years, and it's been the most amazing time of my life. The Christian life is an adventurous life. We can travel anywhere in the world and serve God. And I've actually become an extensive reader since becoming a Christian. And one of the books I can't live without, every year I always go through it, because what it does is it creates such a passion in my heart just for the lost. We need to find ourselves at times, this is the best thing, that we need to get on our knees and pray for people that do not know Jesus. We need to pray for the family members that do not know Jesus. We need to pray for our friends, the people at school, the people that we come in contact. Pray to the Father when you walk outside your house. Every day, Father, please send people in my path that do not know you, Lord, that are seeking you. And please let my, myself not get in the way. Allow me to decrease that you may increase so they can see the love that you have for them in me.
Pray for that. And God will bless that and grant that for you. In Jesus Freaks, I love reading it because it creates, like I said, such a passion when I read of my fellow brothers and sisters dying for their faith all over the world. Right now, we have it so good. We are blessed. We can come here to this Bible study, open up our Bibles, have our Bibles with us, fellowship afterwards, pray for each other out in the open. There's places all over this world right now where people are being persecuted and tortured and dying just for having a Bible or just for speaking the name Jesus. Jesus, the word is coming out of their mouth. They're dead. They will kill them on the spot. We are seeing it now more than ever. Her name was Anne in England in 1546. It says, Anne was imprisoned, greatly tortured for her faith. Placed on a cruel rack, her joints and bones were pulled out of place. She fainted from the pain, but when she regained consciousness, she preached for two hours to her torturers. Wow. Just picture this. You're getting your joints pulled away. You're having extreme and excruciating pain. You pass out. You wake up and you continue, continue to preach for two hours. 120 minutes preaching to these people that are persecuting you. It's an amazing thing. She has so much love and compassion, even when people are wronging her, to love her neighbor. Why? Because she knew in her mind this wasn't all that there is. She was going to her home, her heavenly place, and being with God in the presence of God. And these people didn't know what they were doing in a sense because they were blinded by the God of this age, Satan. And she was willing to pray for them. It says, On the day of her execution, she was carried to the stake in, the, in a chair because her bones were dislocated and she couldn't walk. At the last moment, she was offered the king's pardon if she would recant. And this is what she said. I do not come here to deny my Lord and Master. Going back to Hebrews 12.28, it says that we may serve God acceptably. She knew her position. She was to serve God, her master. And she had such a great relationship with her master that she put her whole entire trust in him because she knew who God was and that she knew God. It said, she died praying for her murderers in the midst of flames. Wow. How many of us can do that? Being tortured, having our limbs completely just pulled and dying in flames... And while she's being burned, while her skin's absorbing the fire, she is praying for these individuals, praying for them to come to know Jesus. Her heart's still so broken for these individuals. Number one, she was a servant. Number two, she was submitted to God. She knew who her master was. And number three, she had a compassion for the lost. She had an evangelistic heart. See, here it comes down to this. With her, and with looking at verse 28, it says, we are, now that we know who God is, like I explained, and He's our Master, and we're His servant, and we're here to not be served, but to serve, positionally, we know where we stand. She knew where she stood. See, here it is. With godly fear, what I explained, having reverence and awe, and being in objection and subjection to God. If you fear God, you won't fear man. But if you fear man, you will fear... Yeah, if you fear man, you won't fear God. She was a woman that feared God with a godly fear. She knew who her God was. Such a powerful thing. Verse 29, it says, For our God is a consuming fire. What is consuming? It means to absorb the attention of. What is a fire? What does a fire do? It burns. It consumes everything in its path. Such a powerful verse. I remember my second semester of Bible college, this was our verse for the semester, it said, for our God is a consuming fire. And we would meditate on that daily. Our God is a consuming fire. This is what he's done for us. Allow him to consume you. Allow him to consume every area of your life. If there's any sin in your life, put it on the altar and give it up to God. Sacrifice it to God. That's what my encouragement to you is. So you can live a life of holiness, live a life completely sold out to God. And then, and only then, will he use you. You know, it's funny. I had a friend one time say, it's impossible to be in the presence of uh, Jesus and not be changed. But you can change that and say, it's impossible to be in the presence of Jesus and not be moved. 
or not be consumed. It truly is. Because the more you study God's word, the more you pray to the Father, because prayer is communication to the Father, the more you fellowship, the more you share your faith, you're going to get closer and God's going to consume you with such a passion, with such a zeal to live for Him and to live a life completely sold out. And that's my encouragement to all my brothers and sisters in Christ here, is to live a life completely sold out for our King. The question is, why not? We see what's going around. We see our generation in complete rebellion to God. So what do we do? This is what we do. We get prepared. We study to show ourselves approved. We know God's word. We have a boldness and we take a stand in our schools. We take a stand at our work. We get on our knees daily and pray for these people to come to know Jesus. Because we already have our assurance because we've accepted Jesus, but they don't. And where, where will they go? The subject I'm about to even talk about is so taboo, it seems like so many preachers today are not saying it because they don't want to offend anyone. You know where they're going to go, and I'll be completely honest with you, they're going to go to hell. And why? Because John 14, 6 is called an exclusive statement. It says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's not Jesus and other ways, it's Jesus and the only way. He is the only way. The only way to get to the Father and have that relationship is through Jesus. The only way to go to heaven is through Jesus. If people don't know Jesus, they will go to hell. What is hell? Eternal separation from God. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth. One might ask, well, if there's such a good loving God, why would he create hell for mankind? Well, see, he didn't create hell for mankind. What he did was he created it for Satan and his fallen angels. But because of man's rebellion and man's sin, that's by man's free choice, by his own admission, he chooses to go to hell. He chooses to walk in the ways of the world and not walk with God. So when he stands before God and he tries to give an excuse, God's going to say, wait a minute, I gave you every opportunity. You know, I'm also an apologist and also share my faith on the street. And I would get all kinds of answers. I had this one guy ask me, oh yeah, if there's such a good and loving God, why doesn't he just give me a second chance when I get to heaven? And then I can see him, and then I can say, well, logically there's a God, so logically I'm going to go into the heaven. Well, remember this, God does not force anyone, does not, I'll say it again, God does not force anyone into heaven kicking and screaming. You have to choose to want to follow God. And I told this man, I said, Brother, if you don't want to follow God now, what makes you want to follow God for eternity? It truly comes down to that. I've also got another claim when I would talk to people. Well, why would God punish me for eternity? For simple mistakes. Because of this. Because God is holy. Because God is righteous. And God is just. Remember this. If there's one person in hell that does not serve to be there, he is not all just. God is also all loving. So he has to give everyone the opportunity. It talks about that in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. He gives everyone the opportunity to accept him. But the thing is, he also gave us free choice so we can choose to walk with him or not walk with him. So his being, him being all loving and also being all just and also being all merciful is a balance. They're in accord with. They're never one before the other. They're completely in accord so he's all just, he's all loving, he's all merciful. But this is where these people are going. Separation from God, there's no hope and faith in hell. Eternity, can we even fathom that? Can we even fathom eternity? Elongation of time, they'll never get out. There's no second chance. You know, it's funny, because coming back here, I went up to Auburn for six months to do ministry with one of my best friends in the whole entire world, Jason Phillips. Went up there, we served together side by side. When we were up there, we served, we face so much opposition. There's so much there's a lot of Satanism, there's a lot of witchcraft, there's a lot of New Age stuff, there's a lot of atheism and Gnosticism. And we face this on a on the forefront every day when we went out in the streets. And I would find myself in my room just on my knees, just praying to the Father, like, Father, please just use me and Jason, use the SWAT team up in Auburn just to make an impact in these people's lives because they don't know what they're doing. They're blinded by this world. They've been indoctrinated. And I would find myself crying on my knees just for these people and having such a broken heart. And that's where it truly all starts. To have a broken heart for people that do not know Jesus. And it's hard. We have a lot of family members. I can see a lot of people that I know personally that I've talked to that family members that don't know Jesus. Heck, my family. I'm the only Christian going back generation after generation after generation. Only Christian. And that hurts me the most, seeing my little brother that does not know Jesus. My father almost died a month ago. I was in the hospital with him. For three weeks he was in the hospital, he almost died. He didn't know Jesus. And he was still rejecting God. 
But my encouragement to you is to not stop praying. Never stop praying. Don't give up on them. If it takes one year, two years, five years, ten. Well, Larry, what happens if it takes 15 or 20 years? You keep praying. You keep praying for their salvation, for them to come to know the Lord. You pray for God to send other people in their path. God will use every situation. Everything. You pray. That's what you need to do. If they don't want to receive you, then you start praying. For me, myself, I've been walking with the Lord for four years now. But before that, I considered myself more atheistic. And the thing is this. It took two years for me to make that decision to come to the Lord. And when I did come to the Lord, I was sitting in my friend's house, and we were talking to his, his mother and her best friend, and all of my buddies that were Christian, and they just let me know, hey, we were praying for you for two years. Even when you were in rejection of God, I used to mock God. And I was thinking about this the other day, and it's so insane that I used to mock God. Me, I used to mock God, and now I love God. And it's just amazing. I used to completely just, I couldn't wait to bash on Christians, couldn't wait to make fun of them, to, to ask tons of questions, to try to get them to doubt their faith. And it's funny because now the Lord Jesus me to defend the faith. But the thing is this, my friends never gave up praying. They never gave up sharing with me. They would bring me in. They never judged me, but they would let me know, hey, this is sin. This is what, you're in. This is what you need to do. You need to re, uh, take, your, take your sin and throw it and walk with God. But they didn't, they didn't you know, start yelling at me or screaming at me when they're in the house or just being really mean to me. They loved on me. Because we know what love is because he first loved us with the God they love. And that's the love that we need to have for people out there that don't know Jesus. So my prayer to you, for you, and my encouragement for you, is to have a walk that's elongated for the rest of your life. If you look in Genesis with Enoch, it says Enoch lived 65 years and beget Methuselah. And Enoch lived 300 years and walked with God. And I was looking at that and I was like, wow, there's a man that walked with God for 300 years. And we can, and if anyone has any questions about why man lives so long, we can talk about that afterwards. But the thing, it comes down to this. He lived for 300 years. He had an elongation of walk. The things that were spoken of, reverence, him being a servant, him having a godly fear, him having the ability to know who his master is. The same things in Hebrews chapter 12, 28, 29. He had a fire that consumed him. He allowed God to consume every area of his life and he walked with God. That's why I love scripture so much. That's why I love the Bible. See, my encouragement is that we need to continue, all of us here need to continue to study this word, to know this word, to allow it to be in our mind and on our hearts, to walk with God, to be an example to this world that doesn't know God. Because this old saying goes, sometimes the only Bible anyone will ever read is our lives. They look at us, they watch us at work, they watch us at school, they see how we act, they see how we go through circumstances. So it's important that we walk with God, we know His Word, because this is God's Word. We should know it as Christians. He gave us this, so we can know who He is, how much He loves us, and how to live for Him. And also, number three, is sharing our faith. We need to be able, in this generation, to share our faith. One might ask, why do I need to share my faith? Because God's commanded you to share your faith. And the next question one might ask is, well, how do I share my faith? You know, as an apologist, and training up other apologists, I've come in to contact with the two different types of individuals that are Christian. One that's very well read and knows extensively so much information, way smarter than me, has accumulation of facts that's just unfathomable, has so much knowledge, but they don't know how to apply it as wisdom. See, you can have all the knowledge, you can have all the, men, the mental knowledge you want, you can read all the books you want, but if you don't have the heart and a brokenness for people, it means nothing. And then I've also met another type of individual that's Christian, someone that has a huge heart and such a passion to share their faith and to just pray with people and to just really just share God. But they can't give an answer. So they get frustrated and they walk away. And what you want is a balance in that, to have the intellectual capability to be able to uh, take apart the arguments with love, though, and have that passion, have that zeal, have that boldness to take that step of faith have that passion, have that brokenness for people that don't know Jesus. And if you can have that and create that balance, you can be a powerful tool for God. Because God can use us, the world needs us. The world is going to hell. We are seeing it more now than ever in our generation. This generation, just to let you know, is being trained up to become atheistic or agnostic. Our educational system, it's not a coincidence. John Dewey in the 1900s designed a specific plan 
for the teachers and the educational system to be trained up. And it's still implemented today. They still use his philosophy. And what we've brought into this, to the educational public school system is the idea of evolution, the idea of atheism, which is a belief in no God, the idea of agnosticism, which says you can't know anything about God or truth concerning ultimate reality, which is a logical fallacy in and of itself, because then you would ask, well, if you can't know anything about truth or God concerning ultimate reality, how do you know that you know that? Because he at least knows one thing, that he doesn't know anything. So he knows one absolute. So it's a logical fallacy, and it's done. But... It's the perception and what they're teaching. And no one asks those easy questions like, oh, it's so easy. But no one asks it. And we're seeing our next generation be trained up intellectually, starting from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade and four years of college. And there's a lot of high school and college students in here. I see a lot of college students. And I'm sure you experience it on your campuses. That's why I'm so blessed that we have the well ministry diving into the colleges. I'm just so blessed and I'm, I'm happy because... Hopefully that I can be a part of that and Josh and the rest of the guys to train people up to share their faith on those campuses. We need it. It's a must. I wanted to read something before we close real quick that gives you kind of the idea of what's going on. It's John, this is John Dumfrey, um, in, again writing in 1980, this is back in 1983 on the issue of the Humanist Man Proclaims. It's a, it's a magazine. I am convinced that the battle of humankind's future must be waged and won in the public school classroom by teachers correctly perceive their role as proselytizers of a new faith, a religion of humanity, and recognizes and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity and human being. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as most rabid fundamentalist preachers, for they will be ministers of a new sort. Utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach, regardless of the educational levels, free school, daycare, or large state university, the classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and new. The rotting corpse of Christianity, together with all its adjacent evils and misery, and the new faith of humanism replacing and its promise of the world in which we never realize Christian idea ideal of love thy neighbor will finally be achieved. This is what we're walking into in this generation, so we need to get trained up. So the thing is, I'm back. And I'm going to be here for a while. I'm going to continue on in my studies to get prepared for the Lord's call me to. So if anyone, after this study, I'm here Friday nights, I'm at the well Friday nights, and I'm also at day seven uh, serving. If anyone ever has any questions, I have tons of resources on how to share your faith or where to get started, please come to me. I want to leave this open to all my brothers and sisters out here. If you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, come. I'll, I'm, consider me like your big brother. And I want to say this to all the men out there, the young men. Here's what it comes down to, men. We are that next generation. We need to be that next generation that rises up for our families, to be that leader in that family, to play that spiritual role. So, with saying that, if anyone wants, I'm talking about the men right now, if anyone wants to learn what it takes to share their faith and to be a man of God, please come to me. We'll exchange numbers. We can hang out. We can have lunch. Whatever you want to do, I'm completely available. So that's my encouragement to you, to be completely sold out, to share your faith, and allow God to consume every area of your life, to be in complete subjection to Him, and have uh, obedience and live a life of holiness. So I just thank you for your time, and we're going to go ahead and pray. Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, and I pray right now for my brothers and sisters in Christ out here, Lord, that you give them such a zeal and a passion, Lord, and compassion for people that do not know you, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that you just raise up a godly generation. Use these men and women just to touch the lives all over the world. Send them out, Lord. I know you have such a big plan for everyone's life in here. Lord, I pray that you prepare them and get them ready and guide and direct them. Give them knowledge and wisdom, Lord, while they read their Bible. Lord, give us a passion just to know your word and to have it in our mind and on our hearts. Lord, I pray for these individuals that you continue to use them. Bring people in their path that do not know Jesus so they can just see what it takes to know Jesus from these my brothers and sisters right here, Lord. Lord, I pray that we may uh, decrease, that you may increase because it's all about you. What you've done for us, what you're continually doing for us and blessing us, we thank you so much, Lord. And we just pray this in your precious name. Amen. My name is Aaron. I've never actually attended this study with you guys, so I'm kind of just uh, 
checking it out. It's encouraging to see all you guys out here. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it really, sometimes you can walk in this world and feel like you're alone, like we're the only ones trying to live for the Lord. And to see everybody in, the, in our age group that are out there completely sold out, and to hear Larry's message that we should be sold out, and we should be in subjection to God, and, and, and completely sold out, and to have that godly fear, it's, 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 a, it's a blessing just to be able to see. It's an encouragement just to be in this room with you guys. So um, Tonight we're going to be, like Josh normally does, a chapter a day, and today's chapter is uh, Psalm 128. Before we get into the chapter, I just want to just open up with some prayer. I'm a little nervous, so, you know, be anxious for nothing and pray about everything, so we'll do that right now. And I also want to lift up one of the ladies who works there. Her name is Melissa. She says, I pray for her for happiness. So hopefully through the study of a word or for, of God's word, we can, uh, we can show her what that is. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now, Lord, and we just, uh, we just thank you just for, just for loving us the way you do and just for caring for us. For being our Father, Lord, we can come to you with everything we have, any burden, any anything that's weighing us down, any uh, just anything, Lord. We thank you for that. Thank you for just just for allowing us to have uh, just to have eyes to see your word, to understand it, Lord. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for this group of people that are gathered here tonight, Lord. And I I just want to lift up uh, Melissa. I pray that you would uh, that you would reveal yourself to her, Lord, and that you would just um, show what true happiness is comes in in a relationship with you, Lord. And I pray that as we open up your word. That you would just uh, reveal something new to us, Lord. Allow us to have something that we can just take away from this place and uh, to apply to our lives and just to, to share with others, Lord, so that your kingdom may be, uh, may be grown and that you may be glorified. So we thank you, Father. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we ask. So Psalm, Psalm 128. <laughs> Psalm 128. Um, how I like to do I just I read through the entire text, and then uh, we'll go back in. We'll dissect verse by verse. I'm sure that's how Josh teaches us verse by verse, so we'll just do that. So, uh, Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like all the plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So we got six verses. It's a pretty short psalm. And uh, actually, Psalm, psalm uh, 120 through 134 are uh, all labeled Psalms of Ascent, or Songs of Ascent, as you can see at the top of your all those psalms. And actually, what those were are uh, the Jews, three times a year, they would uh, make trips to Jerusalem, which would be, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, it's called Shalos Regalim. And those three festivals that they would make the trips to Jerusalem were the Passover, um, the feast of, or the festival of Pentecost, and then the festival of Tabernacles. So um, as they were headed up to Jerusalem, they would be ascending up to Jerusalem. So these would be some of the songs that they would sing as they head up there and worship to God. So in verse one, it starts off with "Bless is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in His ways." And um, "bless" can also be translated as "happy." And "happy is happy is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways." And one might just look at the beginning of that verse and just say, uh, everyone's happy then, because God loves everybody, God's an all-loving God, and, and so everyone should just be happy. But you have to look at the entire verse, and in the entire verse it says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. So in order for you to truly be happy and experience happiness, a person would have to, to know God, to fear God, like Larry was saying earlier, to have a, a reverence for God, to have a respect for God, to recognize their position, and also to walk in his ways. And how do we know God's ways? By reading his word. This is God's revealed will, his, his, complete, his complete prophetic statements to us. This is his love letter to us. And if we read it, we can understand what it is to, to know God's ways. And uh, the more and more we, we read scripture, the more and more our eyes are open. His will is revealed to us. His ways are revealed to us. I mean, in Deuteronomy, I believe it's 32, 32, 25. Let me flip there real quick. Oh, it's 32.4, actually. It says, um, he, is, he is the rock, speaking of God. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth, without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And that just tells you that his ways are justice. Like Larry was saying, his, his character never changes. God's character is always going to be consistent across the board, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's, he's a just God, he's a loving God, and he cares for us. 
And if we consider ourselves to walk in His ways, then we should live a life that's a similar, that's similar to that. We should be just people. That we should be people that are honest, people that are that walk in truth, and that um, sorry, that uh, that just that love the Lord and have a a, a a godly fear for Him. And when we walk in His ways, we see that we we do receive those blessings. The more and more we walk with God, the more and more you experience the blessings of God. I know just in my personal walk, like. I, I thought happiness was in success. Before I became a believer, success, money, girls, cars, all that stuff that you see on TV. And I had that stuff, and like I still didn't have that complete happiness. And it wasn't until I entered into a relationship to the Lord, and I just surrendered everything. It's like, Lord, I don't want it all. If that's not happiness, then just take it away. And once you, I got rid of that and, and allowed Him to come into my life, it's, I experienced true happiness. And I can be broke and sitting on the curb and still be like, hey, I know I'm going to heaven. Like, it's... It's it's a, it's a weird it's a weird understanding something that the world doesn't understand and it's that peace that, that surpasses all understanding that all who put their faith in Christ can can attest to and can testify of that it's a peace that man I I wouldn't trade for anything it's it's something that I mean I can't even explain you guys know what I'm talking about so I'll just continue so basically the the first part of being happy is is to have that that godly fear of God and the second is to walk in His ways and the more we walk in His ways we can experience that happiness and then he goes on into to verse 2. The psalmist says in verse 2, uh, When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. And when you think of the, the labor of your hands, the, uh, the labor of your hands can also be cha- uh, translated the, the, fruit of your, the fruit of the labor of your hands. So it's, it's implying that, that you will labor and the fruit that comes from the labor of your hands, that will sustain you, that will satisfy you. And like I was saying before, in the world, I thought success and, and money and all that stuff was going to bring happiness. But it's, it's the labor that I do and unto the Lord, the, the, the labor of the work that I do for the Lord, or the labor, anything that I'm doing that I do for the Lord, that produces fruit. And that fruit will sustain me. That fruit is just enough. And it's, it's not that I'm, I have more than enough, or it's not that, I have, that I'm lacking anything. It's that we have just enough. And when we do everything is unto the Lord, we see that, and we can be content with it, what, what it is that we have. Circumstances may hit us, or, or, or we may experience difficulty, but whatever it is that we have and that we're working for and that we've, that, we've, that we've gained from committing ourselves to the Lord and from knowing His ways and from walking in His ways, that, that's a blessing to us. I mean, it's not, it's not in quantity, it's, it's, it's just a simple fact that we have that relationship and that we, have, that we are being provided for and that we know that He is our ultimate provider and that, I mean, with, without Him, it would be a lot worse. So if we have that relationship with Him, it makes it that much easier and we we can understand and we can be appreciative of the little things that we have. Um, so we go, and it's still in verse two. He continues and he says, uh, "He says it'll be, or you shall be happy and it will be well with you." Oh, I really touched on that. That that it'll be, whatever you have will be enough to keep you content. And I found that just in my own life as well. I mean, I know I talk about my own personal life, but that's really what I have to draw from. Is is what, what I've experienced. I can't talk about anybody else or anything else that someone else has experienced. For my own personal life, I know that even if I lack, even if, you know, I'm late on a bill or, or I didn't get the promotion or something like that, like I know that I'm still, I'm still provided for. It's going to come, it's going to come through. Everything will work out. You know, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. And that also comes with the clause too, that those who love the Lord, all things will work out together good for them. If you, if you don't love the Lord, then you don't have that promise. Similar to the promise that we see here in verse 1, that they require something of us. And I mean, a lot of people look to the Bible and look to God, and they, they want to know what the benefits are of God. Or they just want to enter this relationship so they can get stuff. Or I want to know God so I can be blessed and I can be rich and I can just speak it into existence. On my Just say to my wallet, there's money in my wallet and there's going to be money in my wallet. And that's the God that I want to know. But it's not all about that. It's, it's about having a relationship with God and, having, and being content with what it is that He does provide. And when we commit ourselves not to only... Not only just seeking the blessings of God, but to, to seeking what God will require of us. I mean, a lot of a lot of people they don't they don't think about what it is that God requires of us, and what does God require of us? He requires us to be those that fear Him and those that walk in His ways, and that are dedicated to knowing Him and uh, and growing the kingdom and fulfilling the commission that He's given us. So uh, that's that's the blessing uh, in verse one, in verse two. Verse 2, we, uh, verse 2, it's, or verse 3, I'm sorry. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Verse 3, it, uh, it's interesting because it, it speaks of a wife now. So, 
when it says, your, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. I, I like how scripture always draws pictures so it can kind of, for me, like I always just imagine things in my mind the way scripture's playing it out. So you picture a fruitful vine. How is a, how is a vine, first of all? A vine is more of like, it's not a, a, like a big tree. It's, it's more of a tender, more of a, um, a delicate plant. And that's what it's, it's kind of describing the wife as a more of a, a weaker, not no, not weaker in a physically way, but uh, you see all the girls looking at me now. But I mean, we know from scripture, just from from First Peter. Peter says, First um, Peter, was it three? First Peter three seven says, husbands likewise dwell with dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace that you that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter acknowledges that that. That there is a relationship established for man, and there's a, a relationship or positions established for woman, and that woman is the weaker vessel. Not that she's less of, of less than man or, or greater than man, but that they're equal parts and they have different roles. So when we say that that a, a woman will be as a fruitful vine, she will be a, she's a, she's the weaker vessel or, or more delicate, and a vine requires something to um, to hold it up. A vine, if you see a lot of times, you see vines growing on a fence or on a on a on the side of a house, which it actually speaks of here in the in the psalm is in ver in the second part of verse three it says in the very heart of your house. In other translations, it can be said that uh, it, it, that she'll be a fruitful vine grown by the sides of your house. And if you see by the sides of your house, it almost it almost takes the picture that just as as Eve was pulled from from Adam's rib, not from not from his foot, she's not under the house that she can be trampled on. She's not over the house that she can be to, to rule over the house, but she's pulled from the, she's on the side of the house, at the sides of the house, so she can be a helpmate. She can be uh, comp or will help the man or help the husband, and the husband's there to be her or uh, to be her husband. Uh, I'm sorry, her husband is there to to help her and to um to, to support her and the things that she's doing and the things that she's she's seeking. And the woman, the the promise to the woman is the same as promise to the man. As if she fears the Lord and she walks in His ways, she will be blessed. And um, that that role that she fills is going to be in submission to God, not submission to to anything else. And and when she fills her role, she will she will be seen as a woman that walks in the ways of the Lord. So uh, we go into the the second part of verse three. It says, "Your children will be like all the plants all around your table." And all right. So the first picture he plants is a, is a vine, a fruitful vine, and the second picture is is all the plants. And I was thinking, like, how do you jump from fruitful vine to olive plant? Like, you don't get an olive plant from a vine. But then I started looking at it and started just thinking about an olive plant. How do you how do you get an olive plant? If you didn't say olive tree, you said olive plant. So your children will be olive plants. And in order to uh, to create a new olive plant, I was looking this up, that uh, an olive tree, you take an olive tree and you cut a branch off. And you cut the branch off of, of the main tree and then you plant it deep and in well-rooted soil. And as the soil... As it's nurtured and as it's uh, cared for, it grows up into a plant. So it's saying, at least how I, I see it, is that it's saying that your your children will be will branch off of you. That they're gonna come they're gonna come from the same cut that you come from. It's like you heard the saying that you use a chip off the old block. It's it's similar to that that how you live your life. So if we dedicate ourselves to being men and women that seek after the Lord, that fear the Lord, that that seek to know His ways, we our children will be will follow that same suit. And when we said they'll be around your table, it just it kind of puts in my mind the picture of just you know sitting around the table having dinner. I mean, it's and it's a blessing to to be with your family to to have that communication, to have that fellowship. I mean, I didn't grow up in a in a family a household like that where we got to sit around the table. I probably I can't remember not one time that we sat around the table. So to to have that promise and know that living a godly life will allow that to happen, so you can have a, that family relationship between your 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 husband and your wife and your sons and your daughters. That they'll be all in close fellowship. That that you um that you'll have that relationship with them. It's it's a blessing, and this whole chapter is really talking about the blessings of God. And if you seek to know God, if you seek to to fear God and to know His ways, you will be established, and you will you will receive these blessings that the, that is speaking of here in the psalm. So um and also like in Job uh, twenty nine five, he Job actually I mean we all know the story of Job how he he was a he was a righteous man when he's He's going through and he's going through all his struggles and all his troubles. He even refers back to um, how he was blessed. And he refers to the fact that how the Lord blessed him with having his children around him. And to have children is, is, is a blessing. Just to have that, uh, 
that, that lineage, someone to carry on your name, someone to carry on the things that you that you've established is a blessing. So we see the, the promise of blessing there. So um, going into verse four, it says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So in all these ways we see that the man that fears the Lord will be blessed. And it kind of spans out. It starts off with the, the individual blessing that a person that fears the Lord and, and seeks to know his ways personally will be blessed. And then also his immediate his immediate household will be blessed. His wife will be blessed and she'll be a blessing to him. And also his children will be blessed and his children will be a blessing unto him. In all these ways a man shall be blessed. And But it does require something of that man. That man must fear the Lord and seek to know his ways. And knowing his ways just comes from studying his word, reading his word, diving into his word. I mean, this whole Bible study concept is started off of a chapter a day. And we read a chapter a day so we can know the Lord. And a good prayer to pray is, Lord, just give me something today. Give me something, as I read your word, just give me something that I can that I can use and I can apply to my life and that I can share with somebody. And when we do that, the Lord is faithful. He always, he hears our prayers. He wants us to know more of him. I mean, like Larry said, the Lord will take you as far as you want to go. If you, if you seek to... If you want to go far with the Lord, then, then dive in and commit yourself. Be diligent in your studies and seek to know the Lord's will for your life. Seek to know what His ways are. And when we do that, you see the fruit of that. And you see the, the blessing that comes from that. Um, and we go into verse 5. It says, uh, The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem. And when it says, um, The Lord bless you out of Zion, it kind of speaks of... Uh, but the blessing that comes out of Zion, it's, just, it's not speaking of a general blessing. It's speaking of a more, of a, more um, a gracious blessing, a blessing that's more prominent, that, that you'll be blessed out of Zion. And it's speaking directly to that individual, that you will be blessed, you personally will be blessed. And then in the second part of that verse it says, and you may see the good of Zion, or you may see the good of Jerusalem, I'm sorry. You may see the good of Jerusalem. Not only that you as an individual will be blessed, but also the, the congregation or the church, the, the church body will be blessed. I mean, you always hear pastors say, if, if the church looked exactly like you, how would the church be? If the church read as much as you, read their word as much as you did, if the church prayed as much as you did, if the church uh, shared their faith as much as you did, how would the church be doing? And if we seek to know God and we have a fear for God and we seek to be a servant, as Larry was saying earlier, then the church should be thriving. If everyone is doing their individual job, working together in unison, as uh, we read other words in scripture, that, that the, the body is composed of many members. And if we work together, if we fulfill our role, if we seek to dedicate ourselves to know God and to, to follow in his ways, then the church will flourish and we will see the good of Jerusalem. We will see the good of the church. And not only do you have a personal blessing, but also you see the corporate blessing as, as it applies to the entire church or to the entire body. Uh, so we, uh, as I go into uh, the, last, the last verse... Uh, in verse 6, it says, Yes, may you see your children's children, and uh, peace be upon Israel. So, may you see your children's children. You see a, a promise of a blessing that you'll see your grandchildren. And anyone who has a, a, a loving grandma or, or even, even heard Pastor Greg talk about his granddaughter. Like, it's a blessing. Like, the way he just ha he's had so much passion, so much joy just from, from seeing his, his, his granddaughter. Like, it's a blessing. And it's almost a promise of, of longevity of life, that you will live long when you seek to know the Lord, and you seek to fear the Lord, and you walk in His ways, that you will be blessed, and that your children will be blessed, your house will be blessed. And it's, it all comes from, from knowing God and putting Him at the forefront of your life, and making Him the center, and making sure that you, are, you do have the proper perspective, that you are the creator, that you are the creation, and He is the creator, and that you walk in His ways, and that you be obedient in every, in every aspect of your life, and, and not just in, in showing up to church on Wednesday and showing up to church on Sunday, but in every day that you live out a life that is sold out to the Lord, and that you are dedicated, and that you're committed to, to, to read His Word on a daily basis, to pray for that person that you see that's hurting, or just to do the little things, just to bless, the, the, bless your, your brother or your sister, or however you can do to whatever you can do to, to glorify God and to, to allow Him to shine through you and to be that vessel and just to be used, to be available for His use, is it falls in line with knowing God and having that fear for God and for walking in His ways. And the last verse, it says, uh, Peace be upon Israel. And I love that word peace, like I was saying earlier, that, that peace that surpasses all understanding that we receive from just from knowing God and having that relationship with Him. It's something that, that the world can't, they, they don't have it. I mean, they can spend all the money they want and drink as much as they want to drink, but they'll never have that peace. They'll never have that peace that comes from the Lord. It comes from that relationship 
from from that comes from that relationship with the Lord. Excuse me. But um, I liked how it said, "Peace be upon Israel." And Israel, we know, he, he used to be Jacob. His name was changed. And Jacob, Jacob was known as a uh, one who contended with God. And it's not saying peace be upon Jacob, the person that's contending with God, that's fighting with God, that's with odds with God. It's saying peace be upon Israel. And Israel can be translated or is known as uh, the man that's governed by God. So it's saying peace be upon Israel. Peace be upon the one who is governed by God. If you want peace, allow yourself to be governed by God. Don't contend with God. If God tells you to go, go. I mean, sometimes it, it may hurt, it may be difficult, but God knows best. We know that we have a, a Father that cares for us, who loves for us. We know His character never changes, that He always wants nothing but the best for us. So we, we commit ourselves to, to know Him, to, to have that godly fear, to have that reverence for Him, and to seek to walk in His ways, then we can, we can, we can be assured that we'll have these promises that, that it speaks of in the Scripture, that we will be blessed, that we will, our house will be blessed, that we see our children's children, and that we will... Um, who have that peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that comes from knowing God. So, I mean, that's, I know I went kind of quick diving through the chapter, but we're, that's verse 6, and that's, uh, that's the end. But, like, one thing I just want to point back to, this is a song of ascent, and this is a song that, that the true worshipers, those pious Jews, that they would sing on their way up to, up to Jerusalem. And, like, I don't know why, I came across on mine, if there's a song of ascent, is there a song of descent? And I thought about it, like, those who worship God, they only go up. Those who worship God only go up. So this song is ascent. If we truly seek to worship God, we have that promise that we will go up. We will ascend to the heavens. We will ascend and we will see the face of God. We will see Jesus. We will walk with Him. And we have the promise of that just from knowing Him and from walking in His ways. So uh, with that, I would like to uh, close in some prayer. Lord, I just thank you for uh, just for giving us this opportunity just to to be in this public place and to study your word, Lord. I pray that um, that if anything I said just wasn't right, wasn't of you, Lord, that these people wouldn't remember it, that it would be wiped out of their memories, Father. And, uh, but if there was something of substance, Lord, something that they can take away and apply to their lives, Lord, I pray that you would just, just put it on their hearts, Lord, and allow them to, to bring it to remembrance, just uh, to be able to apply that to their daily lives, Lord. I thank you for it. Uh, just for caring for us, just for giving us the promises that you do give us in Scripture, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and that you've begun a good work and that you will complete it, Lord. We thank you for those things. Thank you for the peace that you've given us. That you've given us. Lord, and I pray that if there's anyone here that is struggling with anything, Father, if there's anything that's hindering them in their walk with you, that's, that's blinding them from, from knowing your ways and from walking in your ways, Lord, I pray that you would just convict them of that, Lord, and that they would seek a brother or a sister that they can come and confide in, Lord, and that they would... Uh, Seek prayer, Lord, and that they would uh, they would confess their sins and that they would be healed, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. I pray that uh, that you would just bless these as they go about their way. And uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.